So from time to time, we, we will depart uh, Mark's gospel. Um, this uh, is one of those times this morning. I want you to uh, join me in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to take this week and the next two weeks and depart from Mark's gospel. And then we'll jump right back into to Mark's gospel. But I have been studying this text. And as a matter of personal privilege, it's impacted me of recent. And I wanted to share out of the overflow of what God's doing in my own heart to you. Um, these are what we call foundation sermons. They're foundational to your Christian walk, foundational to your, your daily pursuit of Christ. So what we're talking about is daily uh, application to your Christian walk in this section in Galatians chapter 5. I've entitled it an internal civil war. An internal civil war. Join me in Galatians 5 and I want to read 13 to 26. We'll be primarily focused on 16 to 26 this morning. But in order to appreciate 16 to 26, you have to know what's going on in the passage, especially when we're departing Mark and we're just parachuting into Galatians and we don't understand what's been going on. I'll catch you up a little bit and give you some kind of truths around context that will help you interpret this passage. But uh, from time to time, like I said, there are these foundational messages to your daily Christian walk that John and I will interject into um, probably once a quarter into your life to just kind of keep you reminded uh, of some things. This morning in particular, uh, the devil would like nothing more to remind you or to help you forget, shall I say, that there's a war going on. There's a war out there, and it's a civil war. Take a look at this passage, an internal civil war. Let's read from 13 to 26. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law, the whole law, is fulfilled in one word in this statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, Paul says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you'll not carry out the desires of the flesh. And here's the war. Look at it. Verse 17. For the flesh sets its desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For those are in opposition to one another. Civil war. So that you may not do the things that you would please to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, guess what? You're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, pretty obvious, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like this, pretty much anything you can think of. Of which I forewarned you, just as I also forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, strong contrast to the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. 
Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In conclusion, if we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, and envying one another. Internal, daily, civil war. That is our topic for consideration this morning. This is not an isolated uh, text by any means. Uh, you can feel this particular text uh, over in... Uh, in uh, 2 Corinthians, well, we'll look at first at Romans 7, first, verse 15. Romans 7, 15 makes it really clear. Paul says, for what I am doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I'd like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. Clearly, there was some internal civil war going on in his heart. He says, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I do, I don't want to do. And you know that passage well as he is almost cathartic and kind of walking through the, the internal struggle, the civil war in his own heart. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Uh, the reality is that the Christian life has and is often uh, compared to a war. And in particular, it's a certain kind of war. It is a civil war. The Christian life is a battle. It is a, a battlefield whereby there are no truces in this life. It's a no-joke battle. Uh, the stakes are extremely high for your sanctification and for your soul. And in this case, in Galatians chapter 5, you either kill sin or sin ends up killing you in this internal civil battle. There are two options in Galatians chapter 5. Either you, on a daily, perpetual basis, are learning to walk in the flesh, or you are learning to walk in the spirit. And of course, it's Paul's passion and heart and argumentation here that you learn to walk in the spirit. So there's this huge internal civil war battle-like going on in each of our hearts every single day. You will wake up tomorrow morning and you will have to make a volitional choice of the will and of the heart and of your passions to say, I am choosing to walk in the spirit as opposed to walking in the flesh, right? And so the context is clear that we must learn to walk in the spirit. Now, you have to appreciate the context in order to understand Paul's argument for walking in the spirit. Here's what's going on in 13 to 15. Basically, he's connecting walking in the spirit to loving your neighbor. The church is a little bit in upheaval. They are, as the text says, biting and devouring each other. They're literally, it's kind of ferocious language. They're tearing each other apart. Uh, and not building each other up. They're tearing each other down. 
And so if you're going to walk in the spirit, that means it will closely align itself by loving your neighbor as yourself. So what he's talking about in Galatians 16 to 26 is grace-induced progressive sanctification. That is the topic. That is what it means to walk in the spirit. But there's this battle going on, and it's constantly going on. And it's called to freedom here in 13 to 15. It's called to freedom within the battle. And what freedom looks like is that you will love and serve one another. So at its highest point, when you're walking in the spirit, that means you're giving yourself away. You're crucifying the flesh and you're giving yourself away to serve one another. He tells them there in 13 to 15 to stop biting and devouring one another. There are two factions that manifest themselves all through the book of Galatians that you need to be aware of. And I'll put them in two categories for you and simplify them for you. There are the legalists, right? And there, 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 there are the libertarians. Those are the two groups that, that Galatians is kind of writing, that Paul's writing to, to the Galatians about. The legalists love more rules. The more rules, the better. And the more rules, and the more you obey those rules, the more you're sanctified, the more you please God, right? And, 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 and the more you feel better about yourself. These are the, the legalists. So in particular, um, they were wanting to add Judaism to Gentiles. That is the issue that's at hand. There are Gentiles that, that Paul is writing to, and the, the legalists there would say, listen, there's the, the best Gentile in the world is a circumcised Gentile. And so they said, no, you can embrace Christ, but you've also got to follow the, the Judaistic rules and, and follow through with circumcision. And so they like to add rules to relationship. We know that someone comes to Christ and embraces Jesus Christ as a relationship. But what they do is add to that, so it's Jesus plus, and you can fill in the blank, some other rules, right, to get them to please the Lord. It's kind of like throwing water on a grease fire. It, it just never works out. It, it, it just never is a good thing to the more rules, the better. But they think so. This is their philosophy, and this is what Paul is countering here in Galatians chapter 13. He says, listen, you want to fulfill rules, the greatest rules, to love your neighbor as yourself. Stop biting and devouring each other. And that's the legalist. Then there are the, the, the liberty lovers. They love license. They love freedom. They don't want any rules. So they're kind of uh, two extremes on the spectrum. One is uh, rules and, and one is liberty. And they pursue liberty at all costs, right? It's kind of the just do it crowd. Whatever they want to do, they want to do. They don't want any structure. They don't want the law, and I'll explain how the law works in the Christian life in a minute, but they want the freedom to sin because if we sin, they know from Romans 6, then we get forgiveness of sin. And so their argument is, okay, therefore we sin more so we get more forgiveness, which is absolutely ludicrous and crazy, but that's what he's, uh, that's what the, this particular group is, is vying for. That's what they're arguing for. And they don't like any, they don't like any rules at all, total license. Whereas the true believer, if you're truly in Christ, 
that you delight in obedience. God's commands are not burdensome, right? And when you're spirit-filled and you're walking in the spirit, you'll want to serve others. So both groups, the legalist and the liberty lovers, are both factious, both wrong, and what Paul is contending against. And he tells them, listen, stop biting and devouring one another. If you're truly walking in the spirit, I promise you, this is Paul's argument. If you truly walk in the spirit, you will love people you will unconditionally love people. You will love them. He says, you shall love their neighbor as yourself. That's what walking in the spirit at its highest and best point is about. Loving people, serving people, giving yourself away. But Paul says, listen, there's a real civil war going on in our hearts. There's a real battle. And what he's contending here is that those two groups, those two factions, are fighting the wrong battle. They shouldn't be fighting each other. The battle's within. The battle is perpetual. The battle is daily in our lives, right? And, and, and they need more grace than they need law. And they must learn to crucify the flesh, not each other. They're literally biting and devouring each other, tearing each other apart, when he says, now you need to come together, and love is, is the, 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 the DNA that you're missing. Love is how you battle uh, the, the, the flesh. You've got to learn to walk in the Spirit. And when you walk in the Spirit, you will love one another. There are three main verbs, and we'll kind of frame our, uh, our, our consideration around them. You've already saw the first one, biting. That's kind of one of the main verbs. Crucifying is in 16 uh, down to 21, and then walking. Those are the three big main verbs, biting and devouring one another, crucifying the flesh, and of course, walking in the spirit. And all three we'll take a look at. We've already seen that uh, the biting is uh, affecting them. This is what he's counteracting. And he's reminding them that you have to engage in sanctification. And you are sanctified not by isolationism or asceticism, but you're sanctified by the work of the Spirit, teaching you how to walk in the Spirit. And so it's only done through the Spirit's work. It's the only way you can learn to walk in the Spirit. This isn't something you do in your own strength. This is something the Spirit of God does in you. And without Christ, we are just merely slaves to sin. And we'll end up biting and devouring each other. But if we have Christ and we have the Spirit and we walk in that, we will learn to love one another. So we need to define the terms kind of for uh, the, the, the civil war that we're battling here. The first is the word spirit. The word spirit. What are we talking about? We're talking about the Holy Spirit, not just your internal spirit, but the actual third person of the Trinity, right? Who we received as a gift at the point of salvation. As a gift at the point of salvation. And the Holy Spirit produces Progressive sanctification. What the Spirit of God is constantly doing is aligning your sanctification with your justification. 
When you've been justified, when you've been put in Christ and you've been forgiven of your sins, right? That is a forensic act. You have been justified. Now, sanctification is how you spend the rest of your life trying to align your life with your justification. That is simply called sanctification, which is a work, a progressive work in the believer's life. The Holy Spirit bears witness to Christ both the living word and the written word, the scriptures itself. So you have, as a gift from God, at the point of salvation, an indwelling truth teacher, always directing you to the living word, always directing you to the written word, always as an aid to you to help you walk in the spirit. So it isn't me telling us this morning that we must just pull up our bootstraps, dig in deep, and work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's more than that. It's the Spirit's work. It's, we have the gift of the Spirit in us. If you're truly in Christ, then you are capable. So on one side of the battle, you have the Spirit. On the other side of this battle, you have the flesh. It's the Greek word sarks. It's not merely the body, the physical body, but it includes the body. When we talk about the flesh in the scriptures and what Paul is describing here, we're talking about the unredeemed, fallen humanness that's kind of rooted in this world, that's earthy, that's a part of this world. We are new creations in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, but this new creation is incarcerated in fallen flesh. So the spirit is robed in human flesh. That's why we call it a civil war that's going on. So there are vestiges of the old man. We call it the Adamic um, instincts. There's vestiges of the old man that you will deal with the rest of your life. You will spend the rest of your Christian life, as long as you have breath, trying to align your, your sanctification with your justification. Why? Because there's a part of you that is prone to wander. There's a part of you that doesn't want what God wants. This is that internal struggle that I referenced in Romans chapter 7 where Paul says, there's things I want to do but I don't do and the things I do want to do I, I don't do and the things I do I shouldn't be doing. And He's just going back and forth. This is what we're talking about. The flesh craves things that aren't of God. And there's this civil war. You'll experience it tomorrow morning. And you'll, you'll get up and you'll, you'll think, man, why, why am I battling this today? Why, why this particular sin? Or why am I wrestling with this? So there's these vestiges, these Adamic instincts that want to go their own way. They want to run far from God. That don't want a, a part of God. And so our flesh must be on a daily basis dethroned. On a daily basis crucified. That's exactly what Galatians 2.20 says. Look at it. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Galatians 2.20. So this is constant crucifying of the flesh. And so we have the spirit who's in us. He gives us liberty. He gives us freedom. And as a freedom not to sin, right? 
It, it's a free, freedom not to be a slave to sin. So before you came to Christ, you're a slave to your sins and to your passions. Then when you give your life to Christ and the Spirit of God comes into your life, now there's a freedom not to sin. You can have a choice. And there enters this civil war that I'm referencing that goes on within our hearts. There's kind of a seed of rebellion in all of us. We call it the flesh. And you say it probably around your home. If you've been a believer any period of time, you, you, you might tell your, your spouse, well, you're walking in the flesh. You need to walk in the spirit. Well, what is that? It is this civil war that we're talking about. And the reason we have that vocabulary and that kind of language is because of the text that you're looking at this morning here in Galatians 5, 13 to 26. It's where it's manifested. It's where Paul argues that we need to battle. And he says it, for the flesh, verse 17, sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. All right, so you have the Holy Spirit resident in your heart if you are in Christ, if you are a Christian. You have the Holy Spirit living in you, right? But that Holy Spirit is incarcerated in this flesh, which includes the body and some Adamic instincts that are kind of left over. They're kind of hangovers or hanger-oners over your life from the past that constantly creep back in and create this civil war going on in your heart. But you know theologically you're not a debtor to sin. You used to be a slave to sin, but you're no longer a debtor to sin. As a matter of fact, Galatians 5 is all about freedom. You see it in verse 13, freedom to serve others. Verse 14, freedom to fulfill the law by loving one another. And verse 16, freedom from sin, that you don't have to sin. You don't have a gun to your head. You have a battle in your heart, but you don't have a gun to your head. You have the freedom to say no to sin. Since the point of conversion. And so the devil would like nothing more than for you to forget there's a battle. For you to forget there's a civil war going on. For you to set aside the energy and effort. As Paul said in Philippians 2, 11 and 12. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He'd love you to forget grace-induced progressive sanctification. To just lean into your justification and let the chips fly and be laissez-faire about your, your relationship to Christ. That's not the case. It's a battle. The Christian life is not a playground. It is a battleground. Let's dig a little deeper before we look at the text. There's one more piece that I want you to understand about your sanctification. I'm using some big vocabulary, sanctification, justification. Uh, I think you can handle it. it it's, it's not that complicated. But there are two components to sanctification. First component is what we call definite sanctification. At a definite point in time, you placed your life into Christ. He gave you a new heart, right? He sealed you with the Spirit. He placed the Spirit of God within you. That is definite sanctification happened. So at the point of justification, the Spirit of God enters your heart, and you have definite sanctification. Then the civil war begins. Then you spend the rest of your life in what we call progressive sanctification. It means you're working out 
your sanctification for the remaining part of your life. And it takes a lifetime. This is why we cut each other some slack in the church. This is why we have texts like, love covers a multitude of sins. Because you're not perfect. And you will struggle with sin. And, and you need grace. And you need to run to grace. And you need to live in grace. And, and in the sphere of, of grace. And this process of progressive sanctification will take a lifetime. We are works in progress. So when you see somebody doing something, you can give them grace because, you know, they're not perfect. You'll be perfect one day, but you're two-thirds Christian, right? You're two-thirds saved. You have one-third called consummation where you'll be finally made fully new where the Civil War ends, the battle is over and there's been a peace treaty that's signed and that theologic is called consummation which is found in revelation chapter 21 okay so you get all these terms in your head because we're going to look at the the battle that that rages you'll never listen to me you will never outgrow your need to grow in this life you're always got to work out your salvation that's why paul said that with with some fear and trembling We'll spend our lives, right, working on our progressive sanctification. It's what we do. And when we talk about progressive sanctification, we talk about the, the battle here. That's what Paul is trying to address. And listen to me, connect it to context. If you are walking in the spirit, he'll give some examples of that in a moment. If you're walking in the spirit, it's highest manifestation is that you will love your neighbor as yourself. You'll give yourself away. That's a clear indication that you're walking in the spirit. Let me give you an example of this. If I get a day off from work and you get a, your, 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 you know, a great day off from work, you, you can do anything you want to do. That day off from work would probably look like for me, maybe uh, throwing uh, some, some baseballs with Elijah, right? It, it may be doing a few chores uh, around the house, fixing a few things. It may be shooting some baskets with, with Aiden, something that he loves to do. Maybe that evening it would be going out to, to dinner with my wife and, and having a date night, right? And you say, well, that's not a, that's your day off. Like, you're, you're, it's your day. You get to do what you want to do. But that's not what it is. Because your highest joy is serving one another. Your highest joy as a, as a husband or as a, as a wife is to serve one another. That's what it looks like on the street. And I think sometimes when we think of walking in the spirit, it's doing these things over here. When actually it means at its highest point serving one another. It's the freedom to not be in bondage to yourself, to be self-absorbed or selfish. It's the freedom to serve one another. And that's what Paul's saying. When you're truly full of the Spirit, when you're full to the brim with the Holy Spirit, I'm going to tell you how it's going to manifest itself. You're going to want to give yourself away. It's not consuming. It's not selfish. It's dethroning self so that you can serve one another, just like that day off. It's not me uh, going to the woods, sitting under a tree as much as I'd love to do that, and, and reading a book and being by myself and have everybody in the house serve me. No, it's freedom to give yourself away. It's freedom to, to care for everyone around you. This is Paul's argument. 
The true spirit-filled living means you give yourself away to others. And you will find no greater joy than when you do that. So life in the spirit equals serving one another. And that's the essence of the law. That's his argument here in the text. That's the whole essence of the law. How do you know you're in the flesh then? How do you know or how do you recognize that you're walking in the flesh? Here's three ways to consider. First, you'll want to be served rather than be, be a servant. You'll want to be served. It's about you. Someone blessing you. Someone caring for you. Someone pampering you. You'll want to be served. Second, from this text, you'll question God's commands. They'll be burdensome to you. Like, I don't want to do that. I don't. I don't I, I find God's commands burdensome rather than a joy, right? And third, you'll ask who is right, not what is right. And that's what you see here in the context. There, there's factions, and they're saying, who's right? The, 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 those with, that love liberty or, or those that like legalism? They're asking the wrong question. It's what can I do? Not who is right. What's the right thing to do? The right thing to do is to serve one another, Paul says. Stop fighting. Stop fighting and devouring each other. Stop trying to posture yourself with one another. Give yourself away. And when you do that, God will take care of you. He will bless you. He will take care of you. So the liberty folks and the legalism folks, they're fighting the wrong battle. And it's... it's it's just a satanic scheme to throw them off their game, to, to not have them think through what is most important. He is divided and conquering, and they're biting and devouring. And that is his strategy, and that is his plan. So he gives us a battle plan. There are two parts to the battle plan. Part number one, learn to crucify the flesh. Part number two, learn to walk in the spirit. So he... He clarifies the plan. He clarifies the battle plan. He sets the context. There's literally a battle going on. You're consumed with yourself. You're, you're focused on the wrong thing. You need to be focused on caring for and loving one another. And here's how you learn to love one another. Here's how you learn to walk in the spirit. It starts by crucifying the flesh. Look at it. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident and then he launches into a list in contrast to verses 13 to 15 he says in verse 16 but i say i don't agree with them paul says they're wrong they're out to lunch they don't get it they're biting and devouring but i say walk in the spirit and you'll not carry out the desires of the flesh the flesh and the spirit are mutually exclusive. Exclusive. They're on either ends of the, the, the spectrum. Romans 13, 14 is one of my favorite ways to work it out. Listen to Romans 13, 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. Don't make a provision for the flesh and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's pretty Simple, right? This is the battle that he's talking about. The choice is yours. 
The, the particular doctrine he's talking about is one you probably don't encounter a whole lot or haven't thought about a whole lot. It's called the doctrine of the mortification of sin. The Puritans loved uh, this doctrine called the doctrine of the mortification of sin, meaning you kill sin or sin kills you. That's your option here in this civil war. Either you kill sin or sin kills you. So you must learn to crucify the flesh. So in verse 16, he begins with a promise. Just quick overview. He begins with a promise. If you walk in the spirit, you'll not carry out the desires of the flesh. You'll counteract them. It's a promise of, of God through Paul's writing. Verse 17 is a reminder that there's a raging war with no truce and no hopes to end until the end of time or you take your last breath. The war ends in eternity, but it always ends in victory. You need to keep that in mind. You're fighting from victory, not for victory here. You're fighting because the Spirit of God accomplished that. And then third, we're no longer debtors to the flesh. Look at it. But if you're led by the Spirit, if you're truly walking in the Spirit, you're not under the law. What is he talking about? You're not under the law. What was the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law was to drive you to Christ. It shows us, the law in its total, shows us how to live like Christ. It shows us that we cannot be justified by the law, but we can be sanctified by the law. The law is sanctifying. It gives us a grid. It, it, it marks out what is pure, right, and beautiful. So true liberty is freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. This is Paul's case. And the law just says, hey, this is what sin looks like, and it's a freedom to not sin. We are free, free to fulfill the law of love. And that's what he's talking about there in verse 14. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So you're no longer a debtor. You don't have to sin. Now, there's a civil war going on, but there's a choice now. If you're in Christ, you have a, a legitimate choice here. And then in verses 19 to 20, he begins in teaching us what the flesh looks like. Look at it. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident. They are self-evident. They should be obvious to you. This is what life in the flesh looks like. Now, Paul provides a list here. There are 15 vices. They're in four categories. Whenever you see lists in the New Testament, they are never complete, right? They're not exhaustive, and they're never quite the same. They're samples. They're examples. There's lots of things. As you can see, at the end of these vices, he says those who practice such things, any such things, right? Or things like these there in, in verse 21. So this is just a, a sampling. And when you see lists, they, they, they really need very little explanation. So there are 15 vices here. There are four categories that I'll put them in. First, sexual sins there. Look at the first uh, three there in verse 19. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality. So there's 
three deeds of the flesh there. There are religious sins right there in verse 20, idolatry and sorcery. So there's some religious sins into these vices. There are social sins. There are eight of them there in, in verse 20 and uh, uh, 21. He says, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, right? So social sins, sins against one another, which is the context. You know that's the context. They're biting and devouring each other. And so he lists eight different ways that you could bite and devour uh, one another. And then there are two drinking sins at the end of verse 21. Drunkenness and carousing. And then he wraps the whole thing up. Look at it. Right there in verse 21. Of which I forewarned you, just as I forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Things like this. All kinds of things. You pick the sin. Pick the vice. It really doesn't matter here. But I do love the fact that sins have names. They're not just sin in general. Sins in specific. I mean, he calls out the sins. These are actual specific sins, actual characteristics. Not just any sin in general that is a mark of the flesh. These particular sins are fleshly sins. All things like these. Or anything else you can possibly drum up. Right? He also lists a few more in verse 26. He circles back around in verse 26 because of the context being relational, that they're, they're having factions with each other. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, and envying one another. So he's got a pretty big list there. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty massive list of, of 15 vices that he says, hey, those are marks of the flesh. So he makes this bold statement. If you engage in these, you don't inherit the kingdom of God. How do we reconcile that as believers? How do we reconcile? Because I promise you, somewhere in 2019, you're probably going to engage in at least some of the relational sins, right? Jealousy, right? Strife, maybe. Maybe you have an outburst of anger. You have a bad day. Dissension. Envy, you ever had envy in your heart? So how do we reconcile this? The way you reconcile this as a believer is the key. There's one key word in the text. Do you see it? Those who practice such things. There's a difference between an incident, a lapse in judgment, and you fly off the handle in a burst of anger, and a pattern of life. What he is after is if you have as a pattern of life, as a habit, it marks your life that you walk in the flesh. You have every reason this morning to question whether you're in Christ. You have every reason to doubt whether you're a Christian. If, if sin owns you and marks you and it's the practice of your life, we're all guilty of some of these vices some of the time. We're all guilty. But we should never be marked by the practice of these sins. If it marks you as the practice, it defines you, it describes who you are, man, you need to search your heart. You need to look deep in your heart, right? This is how we understand this. This is not just a lapse of judgment. This isn't a bad Tuesday. Uh, this isn't you working out your salvation with fear and trembling. 
This is when it owns you. Remember Matthew 7 in the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus talked about good trees and bad trees. He said every, every good tree yields good fruit eventually. And every bad tree yields bad fruit. This is what we're talking about. If you only yield fleshly bad fruit, then you have every reason to be suspicious whether you're in Christ or you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. However, if you're battling for these things, if you're crucifying the flesh, if you're saying no to these vices and you're resisting them and they bother you and they convict you and you, you fight for them, then you'll understand what it means to crucify the flesh. So Paul says you have to take action in the civil war. You have to crucify the flesh. The Puritans called that the doctrine of mortification of sin. Putting sin to death. This is one half of the sanctification equation. It's called putting off sin. You've got to say no to sin. You get up every single morning and say, I'm going to resist this. I'm going to say no to this by the power of the Spirit. It's Galatians 2.20 with street clothes. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. We must crucify the flesh. That means we can't cut the flesh any slack. It's the spirit produces fruit in cooperation with our volition and our passion and our desire to honor the Lord. This is the daily practice of you saying no to the flesh. It's a manifestation that you're in Christ. It's a manifestation that you know Christ. I'm telling you that when you crucify the flesh, it is a painful process. And just when you think you have an area of your life all shored up, something gets unraveled, right? It's a painful process. One writer put it like this. We are daily tempted to remove the nails and help the old man down off the cross. The flesh just wants to do what the flesh wants to do, right? It doesn't want to be crucified. It doesn't want to be in submission. There are no shortcuts. Paul, does, Paul doesn't give us any shortcuts. He just simply says, in the civil war of progressive sanctification, you must crucify your flesh. That is a daily, what, right? Pick up your cross and follow me daily, Jesus said. It is a daily practice of every believer in the room. I get up tomorrow morning, and I'm going to have the pain of progressive sanctification. I get up tomorrow morning, and I'm going to be in a civil war in my heart internally. I'm going to fight. I've got to get up in the morning, put my feet on the floor, point my toes towards the door and say, I choose to walk in the spirit. I choose to crucify the flesh. And there is just 15 examples. There are a plethora of examples that you will have to wrestle with, right? You, you, just, you just can't cut the flesh any slack. It's a real battle. And Paul says, listen, you guys are tearing each other up in the church because you're walking in the flesh. You need to crucify the flesh. But again, listen to me. That's half the equation. There's two sides. There's crucifying the flesh. There's the putting off. And then there's the putting on. There's the walking in the spirit, which is the third major verb. You have biting, right? You have crucifying. And now you have walking. Look what he says in verse 22. But 
the fruit of the Spirit looks like this. There's two sides to our sanctification. In other words, if I just told you to just crucify your flesh, we closed in prayer and left, you would fail miserably. You just couldn't do it. That, that would be just you m trying to muscle your sanctification, be you trying to work out your salvation without the fear and trembling, without the fear of the Lord, without the Spirit's aid. You must have the Spirit's aid. So on every time you think of progressive sanctification, there's the crucifying the flesh, and then there's the walking in the Spirit. You just can't say no to sin. You have to say yes to the commensurate righteous virtue. So whatever you're fighting against, you have to say yes to its positive attribute or its positive virtue. That's why juxtaposition in the text, he's saying say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit. Then you would obviously say what's the yes? What am I saying yes to? Look at the list. But the fruit of the spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. This is what the spirit looks like. If, how do you know you're walking in the spirit? How do you know you're crucifying the flesh? When those things go away and in, in placement of them, you're putting in these righteous virtues, these good habits, these good practices. And here's the bottom line. If you fill your heart with the spirit's fruit, there'll be no room for the flesh. There'll be no... There'll be no room. It'll be, you'll be so filled to the brim with the fruit, there'll be no place for these unrighteous deeds. So, to complete the whole picture here, there's putting off or crucifying the flesh, and there's the putting on. The key is not just trying to sin less, but filling your heart with the fruit of the Spirit so there is no room for the flesh. You can't run ahead. You can't lag behind. He uses the appropriate word. It's called walking. Daily walking in the spirit. Daily walking in grace. And then he provides a list of nine different fruits of the spirit you can put on. Now, both these lists, I think you need to examine yourself by. I think you ought to go through the, the dark list here, the black list, and look at those and say, Am I, do any of these mark my life? Because that would be, like, really bad. But I think commensurate to that are the things in 22 and 23, are they things that you own? They typify you. They, they define you. You should be able to look at that list and say, am I marked by love and joy and peace and peace and patience and kindness. And I think love, just so you know, is kind of the umbrella over all of them. All of them flow out of love. All of the fruit flows out of the tree of love. Again, it's not exhaustive. There's tons of things missing here that are fruits of the Spirit. Here's just a sampling. That Paul's not saying these are the only things. They're just a sampling of areas of the flesh and areas of the Spirit in this civil war that you can identify. I love what James Dunn, the commentator, said this, though. It is a character sketch of Christ, is it not? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, Jesus' love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith. I mean, you look at that. That's, 
That's our Lord. That's our Savior. That's our Christ. Here's the deal, though. You don't grow fruit alone. You can't grow fruit alone. It's the Holy Spirit's job. He's the resident truth teacher. He produces the fruit. Your desire to want to love more and to grow and to be good and kind and faithful, it's, a, it's the manifestation of the Spirit of God working in your life. He's simply saying if you're full of biting and devouring and deeds of the flesh and they mark you as your practice and they in total, if you look at all of your life, then that person's not of God. He's not of the Spirit. He doesn't have the Spirit of God, the resident truth teacher in his heart. But if you have this desire and you're crucifying the flesh and walking in the Spirit, then it's manifest that God's working in your life. Footnote, this is a catalog of virtues, right? Not a list of rules. These aren't rules. God's commands aren't burdensome. If you're walking in the Spirit, I promise you, if you're walking in the Spirit and you don't love God's people, you're not walking in the Spirit. That's the whole point of Galatians 5, not just to carve out the list and carve out this over here and say, here's the dark list and here's the white list. And where are you? The whole thing is so that you can fulfill the law. You fulfill the law by loving your neighbor as yourself. How do you know you're doing that? Because you're walking in the spirit and you're crucifying the flesh every day. And at the end of the day, you're giving yourself away. This life is not about us. That's Paul's whole point. And he modeled it. He lived it out. He's just throwing it back in the Judaizer's face. He wanted to add rules upon rules. He said, no, it's about character. It's about the death of the flesh accomplished by the life of the Holy Spirit living in us. When the Holy Spirit works in us, it's ordinary. He uses the ordinary means of grace. It's not some crazy, outside the box. No, it's ordinary spiritual means like God's word, communion of the saints, prayer, someone speaking into your life. Spiritual growth or your progressive sanctification comes through the daily discipline of walking over and over and over and over again in the spirit. How do you know someone's mature? It's the accumulation of times you've learned to walk in the spirit. And the more you learn to walk in the spirit, the more you'll love it. The more you fill your heart with the fruit of the spirit, the more you'll love it. And the accumulation of that, when someone really gets that and they lock on and they understand the civil war and they're always crucifying the flesh and putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. They're putting off and they're putting off. The accumulation of that will be their mature. When someone says, boy, he's a mature Christian, what are they saying? They're saying that that person has learned to walk in the spirit. And more often than not, they're walking in the spirit than walking in the flesh. And when they walk in the flesh, they recognize it and they repent. Right? And they get back on the path of walking in the spirit. So progressive sanctification is a lifetime civil war that goes on in our hearts. Whereby you must crucify the flesh every day. And then also learn to walk in the spirit every single day. By daily routines and daily um, walking. And you keep walking and you keep walking and you keep walking. And you don't stop walking. The time you stop walking, I promise you the flesh will own you. It will take back over. That's that war. You never, there's no timeouts in war. There's no breaks. It's just we're going to walk our way right into heaven. 
And then when you get to heaven, guess what? The battle's over. The raging, ferocious battle ends in consummation. Revelation 21. That's why he wipes away the tears from her eyes. There's no more, no more pain. The lion lays down with the lamb. I mean, it's just crazy. Are you walking in the flesh? Or are you walking in the spirit? If you're not a Christian this morning, young or old, and your life is dominated by the flesh, and it's the practice, it's where you go to, it, it's, it's what defines you, you need Christ. We'd encourage you to repent, place your faith in Christ. If you're a believer, right, and you're constantly in this tension, in this frustration, you feel the battle, you feel the war, let me encourage you to stay in the battle, run from the flesh, and learn to walk in the spirit. There's grace for you. We see any one of those 15 vices, we're not going, oh, there she goes again. Look at her. Crazy, crazy, crazy person. No, there's grace for that. If it's every day for 365 days, we'll get a little suspicious. But if you're in Christ, the same application is true of you. You've got to repent. You've got to stay in the fight. You've got to learn to walk in the Spirit. Not run in the Spirit. Not lag and drag in the Spirit. But walk in the Spirit every day. Daily disciplines. Communion of the saints. Get in God's Word. Shepherd your heart through God's word, right? Surrender your will to the Spirit's enablement. You have been graced with the Spirit of God living inside of you. You can do this, not in your own strength. That's why Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's he who works in you. It's not just you bucking up and digging deep and plowing harder. It's the Spirit of God that gives you the passion and the desire, and there's grace for you there. So stay in the battle. It's a worthy battle. It's going to require energy. The Christian life is a battleground. It's not a playground, right? Listen to 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy 2, verse 3 and 4. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself with the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. You're in a battle. It's a civil war. It's internal. And some people may not even see it on the outside. You're battling. You're battling your own emotions. You're battling your body. You're battling sickness. Whatever, whatever that is, you're battling all the time. And that's just part of the Christian life. There, it's, there's, just no, there's no freebies. There's no get out of trials. It comes to all of us. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. So Paul says, listen, you guys are tearing each other out. Knock it off. You think that you can add to rules, you can add to your faith rules, and you will be fulfilling the law. Not so. And some of you think you can take away all the rules, and therefore you'll have freedom. That's real freedom, and we love freedom in the United States. We have real freedom. He says, no, that's not freedom either. It's freedom to love and to serve one another. When you're walking in the Spirit, boom, that's what it looks like. So when someone says, I'm walking in the Spirit, and I want to go um, 
live in a monastery and get out of the public eye and disappear in isolationism or asceticism or whatever. That's not progressive sanctification. Progressive sanctification is lived out in the marketplace. It's lived out in the public eye, whereby you have this battle going on and you're constantly crucifying the flesh and you're constantly saying yes to the spirit. You're putting off these sins and you're putting on these righteous attributes and the full manifestation in full bloom, in full blossom, guess what? You're going to love people and you're going to serve people. And that's what replanting and planting a church is all about. Listen, I know when you're doing this. It's painful and it's hard. And we keep plowing forward. We keep moving forward. Why? Because it fulfills the law of God. That's what it does. It, it causes us to walk in the spirit and to deny ourselves and to put on these attributes and to love one another. And that is the expectation. And that's why I said this is one of those foundation messages. The foundation message is this. There's a real war going on. And you're in it. And let's be in it to win it. Right? By the grace of God, through the Spirit's enablement. Let's pray together. Take a minute to just search your heart and remind yourselves either you kill sin or sin will kill you. It is our prayer that you're killing sin every day, that you're crucifying your flesh. You're learning to walk in the spirit. That's the battle plan that Paul gave the Galatians who were tearing each other up full of themselves. He said, deny yourself. Learn to walk in the spirit. And I pray for all of us that we will learn to walk in the spirit. And by that I mean we're full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness, self-control. Against us, there's no law. That's true freedom is what Paul says. Freedom to not sin. Freedom to walk in the spirit. That's the fulfillment of the law. Father, we come before you this morning and we are grateful for this chapter. It is a pivotal, pivotal foundational chapter for all of us to be reminded that there's a real war going on and that we're in it. We've been drafted since we gave our hearts to Christ and our allegiance to Christ. And Lord, he is Lord of our lives. And in this battle, we, we fight. We work on our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that you are working for us. That you've given us the spirit to teach us and to enable us to win. Lord, I pray that you would help us to wake up tomorrow morning, Monday, and crucify the flesh. Put on the flesh, walk in the spirit. We'd sense your pleasure. We'd walk in the sphere of grace with each other. That we'd never bite and devour each other. That certainly is not impressive or even any way close to fulfilling the law. Lord, help us to, to embrace this text. Have this text shape us and shape our thinking. Help us to love one another, to love our neighbor here where you find us in these three counties. You'd help us to love our neighbor as ourselves. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.